This summer we are we're going to take a, we're taking a look at the book of Ruth, and uh, as I said last week, we started the book this book, and uh, Ruth is one of those short books that a lot is packed into four chapters, and um, Ruth is in the Old Testament, and it is right after the book of Judges and right before the book of First Samuel, and so we know that the story of Ruth takes place. And it says, in the time of the judges. And the very last verse in the book of Judges says, in those days, everyone did as they saw fit. Basically, whatever they thought was okay, went. And that's kind of what we focused on a little bit last week. And I read just the first couple of verses. We actually only covered the first two verses. But I want to read in one block the rest of chapter 1 this morning, so that we kind of hear the story in context, and then we'll just mention a couple of things that we're going to focus on today. One of the things that's important in this book is, this book actually says a lot about relationships, and so we'll be kind of highlighting some of those different aspects over the next number of weeks. And we know that this book takes place, um, and there is a famine in the promised land where God's people are currently living. And we don't know if the famine is a result of their unwillingness to walk close with God or not. Perhaps it is, perhaps not. We don't really know. But for whatever the reason, there is a severe famine. And this family makes the decision, Elimelech, he's the father, and decides to go to the land of Moab, which is outside of the promised land, And Moab is one of the longtime enemies of Israel, God's people. Moab actually, as a nation or a group of people, was descended from Lot, his sons, founded the nation of Moab. And there was always going to be strife between God's people and this particular area. So we have a a little bit of an idea of what's going on there. Let me start in verse... Three. Actually, let me back up. I didn't write this down, but I'm going to read it anyways. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem. So they're traveling from Bethlehem to Moab in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. And then the story goes downhill. Verse 3. Then Elimelech died. So he makes this big decision to move his family to a place where they thought that there was going to be plenty of food. And what happens to him immediately? He dies. And Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. This is not something that they were supposed to do, but they did it. They fell in love. They married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. 
With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Remember, in this day when a woman became a widow, she more or less some often had to fend for herself. And one of God's laws was, had provided a lot of special provisions for widows to be able to support themselves. Usually it was the male of the family in this day that was responsible for the supporting of his family. All of the males in her life had died. And so you can just imagine her head is spinning at this moment. How am I supposed to also provide for two daughters-in-law as well? It says, then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you. Because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey, and when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi, the women asked? Remember, she's been gone for ten years. Apparently everyone else stayed. Don't call me Naomi, she said. She responded. Remember what Naomi meant last week? Pleasant one. Sweet one would be another way of saying it. She says, don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman, 
They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's begin with a painful truth. It's always good to get the pain kind of up front and out there. You will experience burdens and pain in life. You will experience things that you do not anticipate or want at all. Sometimes life will stink greatly. You will lose loved ones. Sometimes you will be in desperate living conditions. You will experience natural disasters. You may lose your home or your job. You may be fired. Brokenness in many forms will be visited upon us. And we don't like to always think about that, but that seems to be one of the truisms of human life. Marriages broken, families estranged, even walking away from God at times. I know that's true in my life. And I would imagine it's true for many of you as well. It's a reality and result of the fall of creation and the fact that we live in a sinful and broken world. And there's nothing wrong with saying the truth. The truth is necessary in order to actually set us free. Faith in God doesn't keep this heavy weight at bay. If anything, sometimes the experience is that the more faith that we have, the stronger the faith we have, it feels like sometimes the greater the tests come our way. It's often the greater the struggles come our way. We said this a little bit last week. It's, it's almost like it, it invites us, rather than running away, to run further and further towards the presence of God, to really cling to his loving presence more and more. Almost similar to how Ruth is clinging to Naomi in this story. Naomi experienced a lot of pain. This is a very real story. The heartache was real. Her experience was real. Disappointment, neck deep in grief over 10 years. Not only had they been dealing with a famine that saw them have no ability to feed themselves, then they left the promised land, which was the place where the power and presence of God was most strongly felt and experienced by his people, for Moab, the land of full, I, I, I forgot what the word I wanted to say, the, the land of emptiness compared to the fullness that the promised land offered. And it seems almost counterintuitive that in the midst of a famine, you wouldn't think of the promised land as actually still full of promise. And yet that's exactly where God wanted his people to remain. For whatever reason, this family didn't do that. And in the midst of 10 years, she loses her husband, she loses her children, she loses her sense of security, all of her possessions, none of the stuff that she had would have gone to her. She lost her status, she lost her reputation, and she lost her closeness to God. And I think it's that last piece that was the most profound loss for her. She just didn't realize it at the time. She became more and more bowed over, bowed down with these burdens in her life, which were real. And the problem is, is that it began to change her internally, whether she was aware of it or not. 
when she hears that it's finally better back in her homeland, that the Lord has helped his people, she actually decides to return in the midst of all of this pain and brokenness that she's experienced. So she does return, which is a good first step. God does invite us to that same kind of step. He wants us to return to the place of his power and presence instead of being far away from it. But when she returns, little does she know, or maybe she's more aware than we know, that she's carrying a powerful enemy with her, a growing root of bitterness within. We sang the song earlier that said, Jesus, you're the cup that never, is, never runs dry. They're testing out the new bell schedule for summer school, by the way, so just so you're aware. Jesus, you're the cup that never runs dry. And that's true. But one of the things that we learn about bitterness is that that is the cup that you think it's a good idea at the beginning, but then when you drink it, it only ends up poisoning yourself. In her life, bitterness takes hold, and the one who was originally called Pleasant One actually changes her name to Bitter One. An empty life is what she feels in her words. A life that is barren of hope. That just sounds terrible. A life barren of hope. And yet this is what drinking from the cup of bitterness brings. A life barren of hope. It ends up poisoning us. And not just us, but it actually can come to infect all of the things around us. The things that we hold and love most dearly. Bitterness leads to a life barren of hope. So that's the painful truth. Bitterness has a way of doing a couple of things in our life that can make things worse for us. The first thing is that, and we see Naomi do this, bitterness tends to blame others. Bitterness doesn't want to take responsibility or even acknowledge the truth. It just wants to blame. And this is what Naomi does. She blames God for everything. Even though God was not the one who said, leave in the first place. Bitterness blames others. Do you know that blaming others has been around for a long time? When God asked Adam in the garden why he ate the forbidden fruit, what did he say? My wife made me do it. Blame is one of the first things that experience that a sinful world saw. What? He and yeah, the woman you put here. So he actually compounded. You know, he had one foot in his mouth, but then he proceeded to put the other foot. So yeah, he was super flexible, like we were talking about before. Somehow he got both feet into his mouth. My wife made me do it. That person, that woman you put here made me do it. And on and on throughout the generations, all the way until today. As Naomi's burdens get heavier, her bitterness grows and she lays the primary blame at God's feet. You see this pop up at least three different times in this chapter. She actually blames the Almighty. Did you know Almighty is actually a formal name for God? El Shaddai. Sometimes it's, it's referred to as um, the one who is self-sufficient. 
the all-sufficient one. She blames the all-sufficient one for where she's at. When we're honest, we may have blamed God, too, for some of the things in our life. I don't know why we do that. Maybe it's just easier. Maybe it just deflects the blame. I don't know. There's probably a whole host of reasons why we want to blame God for everything. But for whatever reason, she blames God for taking away everything from her. Bitterness blames others. Bitterness also is even worse than blaming others. It actually vents outward. This is a very negative thing. It's easy to spot when bitterness is growing within because it cannot be contained. It will always spew forth like that poisonous venom into the people and situations around us. We see people growing in bitterness. It is collateral damage, and it's collateral damage that can have lasting effects. It can break relationships. It can destroy all the good that God has been trying to do, all because we have allowed a seed of bitterness to fester. The poison sends hostility outward. And people, real people, get real hurt in this process. Bitterness only leads to more brokenness and more loss. It never makes you feel better. Maybe in the moment, but in the long term, it never makes you feel better. Eventually, it leaves you alone and isolated. And this, my sisters and brothers, is a lonely and hopeless way to live. Unfortunately, it's a way that many of us have some experience with, or the people that we know in our lives have experience with this as well. Naomi not only blamed God, she vented on him. It's God's fault. He's the one who's taken away everything from me. And she pushes away the family that actually has remained with her, these two daughters-in-law that are still with her. One decides to return. One decides to stay with her. It leads Naomi to declare in verse 21 that she is empty. It's like she's forgotten that Ruth is clinging to her at that very moment. It's too hard for her to see. It's too painful. She feels empty and she was angry. As I said at the beginning, pain and burdens are reality of life. And if we do not allow God to transform us and to transform our pain, then we will transmit it to the people around us. We can allow that pain to be transformed by God. It doesn't take it all away. It's transformed. Just as when Christ appeared to his disciples and to many, he had been transformed. His wounds still remained. He may have even felt the scars that remained, but he was now transformed by the very power of God. When we allow God to transform us and to transform the burdens and the pain that we feel, we have the ability to change. If not, then we will transmit it on to all the people around us. So is there any hope? Yes. Thank you, Ray. 
If you find yourself in this place, then yes, there is good news. But it will require something of you that sometimes we're not always able to do or willing to do. It will require you to return to the very presence of God as that first step. If you want to go beyond bitterness, it will require you to return to the presence of God. I think that Naomi makes a good choice to return to her homeland, even if she wasn't or didn't know it yet. And even if her motives were mixed at best, she tries to do the right thing. She inappropriately throws blame out there, but at least it got her moving in the right direction. And as we'll see in the rest of the story, we have yet to even see how the story ends, but it ends, it ends pretty amazingly. Do you know that the word return actually shows up nine times in chapter one? So maybe it gives us a clue as to what God really desires from you and me as well. Return to me, we read over and over in Scripture. Abide in me. Return is that word that God uses all throughout the Bible to describe someone who shifts direction one way and then shifts back and returns to God. To return is that word that we sometimes describe as the activity of repentance, that we turn back to God. We turn away from those things that have drawn us away from him and turn back to God. When you return, however, things are not the same as when you left. When we came back together, when we're talking more practically, when we came back here, when we started regathering in our lives after many, many months apart, it was great to be back together. And yet things are not the same. We're not trying to return to what was because that is impossible. We're here to see the new thing that God is doing. Like the video we watched earlier. What new thing is God doing in you? Returning to God opens up the opportunity for restoration. If you are experiencing brokenness in your life, return to God first. You may not be able to control that other person, but you can control yourself and whether you choose to return to God or not. Returning restores the lines of communication with the Lord. It allows healing to begin towards those who have hurt you. It allows God to begin transforming the pain and heartache that you feel. It allows you to offer forgiveness to those who have hurt you. It allows you to work to restore your broken or bruised relationships. It allows you to begin to rebuild trust that is lost or severed. But it all starts with that first step of returning to the presence of God. At the beginning, we started with that painful truth that we all experience burden and loss in our life. We don't like to think about it. We like to distract ourselves. But the good news for people of faith is that you are never meant to bear this on your own. You do not have to shoulder these burdens alone. Just like when you see a pair of horses pulling a wagon, if only one of them is doing the work, what happens? 
You start just going in a circle, or they don't even move. They stop moving. You're never meant to shoulder these burdens alone. So the question I ask you today, are you feeling burdened? This is rhetorical. You don't have to answer aloud if you don't want to. And if you are, then hear the word of God again. I put some scriptures on the back of the bulletin. Let me read them for us. Matthew 11 tells us one of the reasons Jesus has come to save you. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. If you are... Think of those two horses. You're like the small, scrawny, skinny horse next to the draft horse. That draft horse with that yoke on can handle all of the weight for you. Psalm 68 tells us what to do because of what Jesus did. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Galatians 5 tells of the hope for your tomorrow. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And in the very next chapter, Galatians 6 tells of your responsibility as a believer. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Friends, we know that we are not able to recover every human relationship. Only God and his power can do that. But we are always able to recover the most important relationship we can ever have. The gift of eternal life with God Almighty, whose sufficiency is enough to shoulder everything. All of our burdens and whose power is strong enough to destroy the root of bitterness that grows within us. The power and presence of God is sufficient to transform us from an empty, unfulfilling life into a full life given by God himself. So today, return to him. Let God shoulder your burdens, release any bitterness through repentance, and may you experience the fullness of true life with the almighty Lord God of the entire universe. God of the universe. We had a galactic premiere earlier. I said those words purposely to really help us view the all-sufficient God of the universe. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We pray that you will convict us of our sin, that you will lead us back into your loving presence, that you will draw out any bitterness that is within us and allow us to be transformed by the power of your love. God, I pray for each person here, those with a few years under their belt and those with a few more, that each of us, you will continue to draw us closer and closer to you, that you will inspire our hearts and guide our steps and reveal our gifts so that we may love and serve you now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray, and the church said,
Amen. Amen.